everybody, this is Tumble Vision, episode 72, with special guest Clive Thompson, New York Times writer, reporter, and soon-to-be author of, what is it, The Future it's of called, the Brain uh, it's called and the Ethics. Technology? <laughs> no, it's called Outsmart, uh, uh, The Future of Thought in the Age of Machines. It has a name. That, is this like if you're a nerdy person, you're like, this sounds like I have to... <laughs> so I'll read that. <laughs> so we're so we're gonna we're gonna talk tonight about we've had a, quite a week of social media. We might touch on uh, Murdoch for a minute because how can you not? But um, the O'Reilly piece I think I want to get into talking about Google's social backbone. I'm pleased that O'Reilly's catching up with some old vision. Then what else do you want to get into tonight? I definitely want to get into uh, Anil's. Dash's post, uh, basically about tumbling. If your website is full of assholes, it's your fault. Such a good, that's a good line. Very good line, Neil. Okay, and and Kevin Marks, what else are we going to get into? Paul Ford's wonderful um, post about how we should have an end to epiphanies by having continuous conversations. And Clive, knowing you, is going to be some deep political. Uh, pondering. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. One of the things I'm going to be interested in talking about here, basically, is the um, is, is, well is, is is the is, exactly is the is the, um, uh, uh, the 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 very deep effects on society of having um, uh, uh, the transition to like mass 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 conversation. Uh, in a very very short period of time, which I, which I, I I think has a lot of unpredictable and, and, and I think mostly cool effects. And very cool. And are you, are you, are you buying our tumbling idea? What do you think? Absolutely. I mean, I, 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 I mean, I, I honestly think tumbling is um, is uh, is it, it is sort of one of these going to become one of these key skills uh, 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 in the future. For um, it, it, sort of for everyone in a weird way, like yes, yes, that's like, a good like, point. like 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 it's it's sort of like I mean if if you if you can't do it at least a bit, then 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 it becomes like a like a like a a social like a social problem in the way that if you sort of can't make someone feel you know uh, uh, um, comfortable when you invite them into your home. You know, if you if you if you can't keep up a, a pleasant place for other people to, to to show up and have a drink at, I mean it, it's it's literally it's literally on that level of a social protocol. Um, and and the good the, I mean the good part is I actually don't think it's I, I don't think it's that hard to do actually. I mean one of the things that's been great about what you guys are doing and what a lot of people are doing is because because I've been exploring the way tumbling works. We're sort of we're sort of learning what the you know. You know what the protocols and what the rules and what the behaviors are, and and I, I think they're becoming increasingly, increasingly better understood, which I think is exciting. Exciting, fantastic! Love to hear it and uh, enjoy our show. Hey everyone, it is Tumble Vision, and this may be one of my favorite guests so far. We have for you tonight. My old friend Clive Thompson, phenomenal tech journalist, uh, and I'm your, co- your co-host Heather Gold, along with your other co-host out on the West Coast, Kevin Marks. How are you? I'm very good. And uh, today you're in Silicon Valley. Uh, today I'm in San Francisco. Um, San Francisco. All right. And Deb Schultz, are you also there? 
I am indeed, and I am in um, sunny and cool, sorry to the rest of the country, San Francisco. Oh, man, it was 97 degrees in Toronto today. Well, so Tumble Vision is a salon-style podcast where our human and tech selves intersect, and every week we explore different dimensions of tumbling with some of the smartest people we know uh, in the web scene and outside the web scene. So what is tumbling? What the hell is this word? Okay, here's the deal. It's an old Yiddish word. And it describes a practice, and the tumbler was a person who was hired to, say, entertain at a wedding or entertain at the Catskills, but they didn't just do a show. They sort of got everyone involved. And in the post-command control world, we feel the most important skill set is the ability to make this engagement happen. Uh, so that's how you navigate a command control world. And I want to tell you, I just listened to an interview with Ray Kurzweil on Bill Maher, of all places, where he said himself, our emotional intelligence is the human thing that makes us different, and that's a lot of what we're focusing on here on television. So uh, we're going to get started. We're going to try and keep the show to an hour. We first hit a little bit into some uh, recent news, which can be always tempting because Clive's business is, in fact, the news. So it may, the whole show may be kind of news. <laughs> really often we then dive into our into the work of our guests. But, you know, Clive, you have um, – first, I want to tell people a little bit about you. I know you from when we worked on Shift together back in the day. Yeah, absolutely. Shift magazine, the uh, late lamented Shift. Uh, it was sort it was of a, a great magazine. Yeah, it, it was. It, it was. It was like I mean, most people who are listening, I don't know, probably have never heard of it. But it was sort of a, it was it was like Wired magazine back in kind of the early years of Wired, which is to say, it was sort of. It was Good. just like, like <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, the, uh, that, that's that's one way of reading it. Yeah, it was it was it was obsessed more with like kind of the culture and and the cult the the way that culture was inflected by technology and weird artists doing crazy stuff online. Not so much with kind of you know big dot coms, you know, making selling. It was like the south by southwest of magazines. Yeah, yeah exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good description. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And Clive wrote some brilliant, brilliant cover stories, including I'll Never Forget Your Story on how work culture had changed and how the tech startup world had really changed what it meant to work. And, in fact, it had snuckily tricked you into working all the time as though it was a hip cool thing to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that story was why your fabulous job sucks, and it was basically <laughs> the title of it. I, and I was fascinated by the way there was all this you know liberatory you know sort of rhetoric about how um, how you know work wasn't work anymore because you know we weren't wearing suits and ties and everything was so like awesome and we had foosball, foosball. tables and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. foosball <laughs> tables. And you bring your dog to work, you know. So like, you're don't, not working. Don't, don't, don't dare have children, you know, because we we need you to work 100 hours a week. But you know, bring your dog. Um, and uh, and uh, and and to, and to some extent, you know, that, yeah, that's, that's still sort of true. Uh, um, although although um, although the uh, uh, I mean in, in, I mean people say there's a boom going on now in the technology world, and I actually cracked up because yeah, do, you, do you remember the guy Phil Kaplan that did um, yeah yes fuck fuck company yeah yeah Todd Todd is yeah, one yeah. Of house. yeah. yeah. He actually tweeted the other day. He said, "Man, if it, people are saying there's a bubble on now, a, a tech bubble, but like he's like, go back and read the stories in the book that he published, yes. Fuck the Company, and like yeah. nothing remotely close to what happened back then." No, and- no. I mean, I was starting to parody a lot of stuff, and, and it, I didn't have to write any materials when I couldn't stand to be a business development executive anymore because yeah. people wanted me to do crazy shit. So essentially. I mean, I, the first, like I did for, for uh, circuits, all I did was 
as a parody piece. I just talked about a startup that wanted to make the internet smell, and they were yeah, I don't no, know, yeah, yeah, twenty yeah. million dollars. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I mean, like, like the startups are can be some of them are quite silly now, but they they don't they don't they don't need a. You don't need a hundred thousand dollars to launch what is basically a bl- hundred million dollars to launch basically a blog, right? And that's what right. it's like back then. Yeah, like you- right. <laughs> and that's and that's. But but the scary thing is, I mean, I, you know, I totally agree with you on that. And the funny thing is, there's a hype, but there isn't a economic bubble around tech in the way that it was back then. In other words, like you said, there's a million different companies yeah. getting launched and there's a million different angel VCs yeah, but, who but are it's, giving it's, them 25K, but it's not yeah, impacting exactly. our global economy. It's not the tech sector that's impacting. And, and you are allowed to come up with a business model now. It's not forbidden. And it doesn't impact the public. Like when, when the last tech bubble crashed, um, when Nortel went under – it erased 25% of the entire value of the Toronto Stock Exchange. So it basically destroyed the, the, the retirement savings of like right. all the major pension funds that were way oversubscribed in it, right? So uh, nothing, nothing like that could happen now because the public money isn't wrapped up in the way. So, so to the extent there's a bubble, yes, there's, there's sort of a conceptual bubble and kind of an obsession with silly things. Uh, but um, – but it hasn't deformed the uh, – uh, I, I mean, in many ways, the world moved on to much much more bigger and much more destructive bubbles. And I'm, I'm presuming there's right. even, more, even a more big and more destructive one brewing right now that we're just not aware of yet. So, <laughs> so just I want to take this – I want to take a moment just to describe you a little bit more because that is a huge story. We can go into that as well as a lot of what's gone this week. Clive is, uh, is not really yeah, – he started at Shift, but he's probably best known now as someone who often writes stories, including cover stories, right, for this uh, New York Times Sunday magazine. Very high visible. I mean, you, you write have a column on Wired. You write in lots and lots of places. You have a fantastic blog. It's been up since what 2003. CollisionDetection.net, and uh, so you're and you're working on a book. So I will let people. Do you, are you willing to tell them? Sure. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I mean, basically, the book. The book is it's what I'm calling the future of thought in the age of machines. And you're supposed to be a nice echoing sound at the end of that. I'm actually trying to figure out some way to, to replicate reverb, uh, 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 echo and reverb, uh, textually, you know. Machines, I know, you should machines, just... Machines, machines, machines. Um, you, should, you should contact Hallmark since they have those cards now and you open them, they sing to you. So you could have... When you open your book, you could have just the reverb, if, you know, if, if people... If you're even printing it. That's awesome. No, we're we're printing it, Thinking just for, for the for the audio book, I'm I'm gonna yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna force them to let me liberally use like reverb uh, uh, for for to, to, for extra tendentiousness and pomposity. Um, so anyway, the, the, the book is basically um, uh, is basically my take on the ways in which um, uh, 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 digital tools are 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 tweaking. Uh, the major components of the, of the way uh, of the way we're smart or dumb. Uh, um, you know, I, I look at I look at its effect on the way we uh, the way we learn things, the way we notice things in the world around us, the way we remember them, um, uh, the way we sort of assemble ideas and think about them, and 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 on a social level, you know, the way that the way that societies and groups of people. Uh, uh, think co-jointly and how that how it affects our individual the, 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 the sort of the, the the tenor the fabric of our individual thought and, and i'm and i'm primarily i'm primarily stuff i i actually it's funny there's all these there's all these dark pessimistic books about how dumb we're getting oh, and yeah. how the crowd the crowd is so stupid and all this stuff and how everyone is so awful um and the funny thing is if you went back and looked at my journalism 
uh, when I first started writing about the internet in the in the early to mid '90s, I was actually rabidly pessimistic in the exact manner that everyone now is rabidly pessimistic. Um, I was convinced that the average person was an idiot and it would be horrible to let them uh, uh, have any license online. Uh, I was convinced that the, all these echo chambers would grow would would emerge and no one would ever. Uh, step outside their cocoon of their ideological embrace. Um, and, uh, and I was convinced of all sorts of other horrible things. And one by one over the next 15 years, sort of all the things that I thought were going to go really wrong didn't go wrong. And a lot of the things that, that I hadn't expected that would become incredibly interesting and, 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 and good emerged. Um, and so I sort of got pushed uh, um, away from my deep pessimism to, to being actually quite, quite more optimistic. Um, and uh, and that that's that, that's the story of the book. I'm I'm writing it and researching it as we speak. Uh, it's supposed to be done by the end of this year, early next early next year. Very exciting. So, what is it? Before we get into, I guess I know what I'm going to try and table. Going to try and table uh, the exciting questions about your book until we get through. Yeah, the yeah, yeah. That's fine. Stick yeah, with yeah. our stick with our our attempt to have a structure here, which for us is really saying something. Okay. So let's see. Let's dig into what happened this week. Quite a bit. Um, it is 100th birthday of Marshall McLuhan, and Clive is a Torontonian. I feel like it's appropriate to bring him up again two weeks in a row just to get your feeling about, you know, where where we're at with him, why he was important. Should people still be reading him? Did he? What would he be thinking now? In terms of McLuhan? Yep. You know, the McLuhan is a funny guy. I've actually been re- I, I've been reading him. In, in one sense, I, I, I like. The, here's the problem with McLuhan: like he wrote so much and at such a, a, a pace, like literally the stuff just came out of him in a torrent that um, he contradicts himself so frequently that. Anyone can it, – it's like the Bible, you know, a text-proofing your sermon. You can basically write whatever sermon, saying whatever you want, and then go and find something in the Bible that will support what you're saying. And McLuhan is exactly the same way. No matter what you want to say about the relationship between technology and society, you will find something from Marshall McLuhan to support it. It doesn't matter what position you take. I mean he was famous for saying um, – uh, you don't like those ideas? I- I've got others. Uh, I mean, he said that. <laughs> he you know, said no, that no. too? I didn't oh, yeah. realize <laughs> no, He's the first guy that said it, actually, uh, yeah. uh, in that, in that awesome. formulation. Li- live TV. Um, so, so, so I read him, and I think parts of him are so incredibly forward-thinking. Um, like, you know, he, the way he talks about sort of the way that, you know, uh, you know elect- uh, and he never said digital. He mostly talked about electric electronic media. You talk about how like it retribalizes people because it, it it puts us in such close contact with each other that we freak out and we sort of reach for the familiar. Um, I mean like in many ways you could read that as a as as a really great gloss on 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 global politics in the last 10 years. Um, but uh, uh, but at the same time like he made pronunciations that now seem straightforwardly wrong, right? Like I mean his whole thing about radio was radio was a um, a hot Technology, which meant that it just it pushed out at you, and 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 you you didn't you 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 didn't sort of participate in it. It just its message came right out at you, and so that's why he said that's why dictators loved the radio. It was just it was the voice of God commanding. It was one to many, um, and and he and so he, he associated it with fascism and control, you know, which you know might have made sense at a certain time, but now you think like you know I don't know like 
You know, like in many ways, radio right now is more associated. It, it's certainly associated with crazy loud loud mouths who are attempting to do like a straightforward control over their audience, but it's also associated with like dithering um, public radio, narcoleptic jazz broadcasts, um, and a million other things, you know. And, Warning, and, uh, men! Hey, how you doing? Yeah. Right. To say nothing of what we're, do- of what we're doing, like, what, what exactly are we doing right now, you know? Um, and, and he talks about TV, and he was obsessed with the fact that TV was a cool medium because it was participatory. And why was it participatory? Well, because the screens were so low res that you sort of had to figure out what you were looking at, right? Uh-huh. I mean, so, like, no, I'm not oh, kidding. Like, okay, I'm just going to that down that. for my brain to take that in. I, I That's can't, awesome. I can't process that. It, it's yeah. what? It's so low res that the it's, participation it, is you it, learning yeah, it, to see it, the signal? Sort of, yeah, yeah. He, he yeah. said it's it's it's, it's no. exactly what the hell he's talking about. Yeah, go, go read it. Go go get go go walk away from here. Go to a bookstore, get a copy of um, Extensions of Man. Read the chapter on television. It's completely fascinating. So he says all sorts of stuff that's totally right, but he also says a lot of stuff that's completely bonkers, you know. Um, and and he moves back and forth a whole lot. Half the time he seems to be completely celebrating oral culture. Half the time he seems to be terrified by it. Half the time he seems to be talking about um, uh, uh, um, Gutenbergian written culture uh, as as the triumph of, of humanity because it, it led us towards abstraction. Half the time he seems to be talking about it as this horrible disassociative thing. It's it's well, a little it sounds tricky. human. It sounds like he's willing to like have complexity. I, I like that. Dude, just because I can keep moving because I have a feeling. Here's the thing about Clive. I'm not sure. I'm not being rude, interrupting him. I know he's being fascinated, everyone, but I know Clive well enough to let you all know it doesn't yeah. matter what we're going to talk about. He's going to be fascinating <laughs> yeah, on everything we talk about. So I just want to quickly and before deeply, we hit some other knowledge. <laughs> be, be, oh, it's going to be ridiculous. Uh, so Kevin, um, you noticed. Uh, Kevin Chang's piece about how difficult it is to digitally organize our friends. I was kind of blown away to see Andrew Sullivan link to our friend Kevin Chang. I was like, it's, I see more and more people I know showing up in his blog, and it constantly blows my mind how much more well-known yes. tech, tech writers and ideas and people are just pals, like, show up in these other spaces. So, one, I'm surprised by that piece getting a I think he's frustrated with, with Google+, and do I really want to bother organizing everybody? Uh, and secondly, I saw in Dubai, I learned about it on, on Google Plus, say that Twitter let Kevin go, Kevin Chang. Yes. So are those two things related? Is it, was, was Twitter like Kevin <laughs> Chang made a smart post about Google Plus, and all of a sudden I'm finding out Kevin Chang, who's incredibly talented, um, visual thinker. I mean, that's how I think of him. I, I don't know precisely what they're having him do. I suppose yours are experiencing he. Why? Why would they let Kevin Chang go? Because they don't like Twitter working anymore? Um, I don't understand. I, you know, I read some stuff where it was like Jack cleaning house of the PMs from the old regime and stuff like that. I've no oh, idea what, yeah. what it was actually about. So that, that sounds like too much inside baseball nonsense. And I, you know, yeah. um, I, you know, I think Kevin Chang is a very smart guy. And this, and I'm sure what we'll find something else to do. So what the was point the was, article about? So the, the point, point of the piece, Kevin Parks, is? The point of the piece is that Actually, organizing people into groups is really hard and annoying because our brains don't have a clear architecture. And the circles, you know, he's, he's pushing back on um, Paul Adams' theory of are these circles actually um, you know, hard-edged enough for us to make decisions? Um, there are lines that separate friend and acquaintance. You're not always sure who they are. Um, so you can do this for a bit, but maintaining them is, is, is a major pain because we change half our social network every seven years. Um, but it's not, you know, but continuously... So you have to, you, you don't know when to move people from one group to another. Um, 
And the other part is, once you've built them, can you remember who's in which group? Um, so he's, 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 he's sort of pushing back on the, on the idea of doing the, the actual, you know, first card sort. And I think, part the, the, I think the point is, is, is very similar to the, um, the categories versus tags argument for, um, for information and for, for photos and things, which is that to set up the circles to begin with and then to populate them is two huge cognitive load tasks. One is think of all the possible kinds of people in the world and decide what categories they belong in and then go through everyone you know and put them into those categories. Um, yeah, if you haven't used Google Plus or listened to us talk about it enough, the premise of this is that circles, the, the basic organizing premise that separates Google Plus from Facebook is about organizing friends. And, and so, you know, but Kevin, Kevin Marks, are you in fact organizing friends that way using this, this tool? I mean, I'm not. I'm certainly, for the most part, not saying, yeah, I'm just close with you and i'm that I'm, close with you no I'm, I, but I'm, I'm trying to cluster them by by meaningful groups but it's the problem is because they're by valued because they're groups you yes. want to look at and groups you want to send to it's a bit awkward to work out what's what so i started also, out making yeah. a tunnel vision group then i realized i was um i need a group that's just the 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 four of us um so that I can have a conversation with us about it, and then we can add in guests on an ad hoc basis. But I want another group is everyone who's been on the show to see what they're talking about now, and it, and and then it's like now I've just set myself up a, a job of adding a person to this every week for um, for infinity. Yeah. Basically, what I've come, what I was playing around with it also. The only thing that I thought was nice about what Google Plus did and made it more to relate it back to tumbling a little more you know, integrating into our human selves was the fact that it used a construct of a circle. The interface was nice. But in point, in fact, it isn't really a circle because a circle actually denotes that everyone in the circle is talking to each other. But it's really your circle. So it's kind of an odd construct, but but it's still managing lists like you do on Facebook. I mean, the only difference now is that now that we're a couple of years into sort of social media, I know from the get-go that basically when push comes to shove, I'm going to have two groups, the closest, 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 closest people, and everything else is going to be open. Because after that, it's way too difficult to manage. <laughs> it's just too hard, you know. Uh, in that sense, Flickr sort of got it right. You know, you have your very close friends or, you know, me or your family. You, because, right. To be fair, which they know. do, right? They, 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 yeah, they, they do. They let you do that. They, they give you the, they, but they give you the friends, family, acquaintances following by default and that you um, yep. go from there. And they yeah. have made it easier to do, but it's still this heavy – go ahead, Clive – this very well, yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'll, I'll just talk about my own personal experience. I mean, I've, I, so I've been. I, I, I mean, I, I initially, I mean, I've, I've thought the idea of circles or something like it is, you know, sort of a step in the right direction. But, uh, but at the same time, um, it's interesting my own my own experience. So, like, you know, 15 years ago, I joined Echo, which was this old school text-based BBS for people. Uh, uh, Deb was in it too. Text-based. Yes. Explain that. Explain that to people who don't know what that is. Yeah, it's an old text-based BBS. It was nothing but like you, 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 you used Telnet to log into a server that ran this, um, this old school BBS. So it's just like, it's just, it's just text text rooms you go into nothing but text. Um, it's like a you know, chat a, with a lot of you, people. <laughs> yeah, yeah, except it's persistent and not live, right? So it's a, mm-hmm. it's a discussion boards, um, and uh, and 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 so you know the the, rule, the law of the land was a quote unquote you own your own words, right? And and what right. that meant is that you know you uh, you know no one was allowed to cut and paste what you said in there outside 
uh, the BBS unless you gave them permission to. Like this, like 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 it, it, there was there's no and, and there was no automatic way to quote unquote share anything because uh, a, a text based thing on this old this old caucus system is just completely old. There's there's no way to in, there's no way to crawl like the spiders can't crawl it. Nothing can find out what's in there. So there was an enormous sense of. Of, of it being a very, very protected space that allowed people to talk incredibly openly and in raw ways about their lives as they were amongst friends, right? And, and, and I had a bunch of friends, you know, and we would spend a lot of time in there and we would, you know, we would be very, you know, funny and ribald and weird. Um, we were weird. <laughs> in, 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 a way that, in a way that, you know, I currently wouldn't dare be even on Google Plus because right. – these, because any system that's set up to do some level of sharing, you know, with the click of a button, um, you're never yep. certain whether you're going to make some mistake and click some button and share some well, extraordinarily yes. weird joke that you're trying to make with two old friends who've known you for 15 years with the entire known universe, right? And, and yeah. so no matter how well you engineer that, and I think they've done a much better job. I st- like like and I've set up a circle with, like exactly like you Deb with like just the hardcore old friends you know that actually many like almost all who were in that environment right yes. so it's exact same people so technically speaking I should feel just as free as I felt back then but I can't because no. I know I know about the architecture of that space and I I don't trust my my mouse finger to just accidentally flip over somewhere so so I want to I want to say, say something here that you pointed out that I think is really key as a larger sort of observation about the web shifting and what's happening with social media and let me know Club if you think this is a vector that shifts into your the future of thoughts as well um, early on there's a kind of complete ribald openness like you're saying and the default. While there's a sense of sharing, there's a sense of I'm choosing to be open with you because we have this shared understanding. We want to be this way with each other. Now that we have these platforms that are trying to build businesses around the idea that you can have things that are countable and quantifiable so they can have analytics to put in a PowerPoint graph to say I valued it X and Y. Look how I influenced. I got to this many people. We've got like buttons. We've got plus one buttons. We've got share. We've got, we've got how can you make this stuff spread in bed move and a lot of emphasis on the on the velocity Public. and motion of, of an idea or of a piece of content as opposed to the human choice to open up to people. Uh, at least that's what it seems like to me in the, in the sort of architecture of building this stuff. Do you think it will continue this way? Like, I think it becomes, like you're right, less obvious that someone's emotionally trying to be open with everyone or humorously being open with everyone. Um, if it's think, about the platform doing the sharing as opposed to the person doing the sharing. I think it's a really good point, Heather, that you're talking about sort of – there's two things. It's not just velocity, but it's also um, it, yeah, it's the speed and also the, um, the breadth, right? So it's velocity and breadth, right? Public, more, more, more. And mm. so a, tangentially related to what you're talking about is sort of the – the, the rebirth movement with a couple of startups like Readability and other bloggers who are like, bring back the long-form blog post, you know. And what happens with Velocity to a certain extent is, right, with 140 characters, it's about your knee-jerk reaction, good or bad. It could be, you know, your instant reaction versus sort of the connecting part um, in a deeper way. I mean, at least that's the way I, I mean – I'm putting that out there, but that's that's. I think you you hit on something with the velocity and the breath, right? Both. It's like and also, what's coming from us? What can we tell is coming from us, and what is coming from a UI or a UX that is designed 
um, to make this stuff happen, and what are the motivators of that? Are they, we have a business model we think that works today, which we were kind of getting to early on in the opening conversation of the show, which is you're saying, uh, Clive, which is, ooh, we have, we have bubbles, but boy, they're different now. So if you start, if you're building your whole site around, I need to show reports to my advertisers, and they like X, so let's design a system that shows them X. Um, you know, then you keep working everything around an existing frame of advertising so you can get those. I'm not saying that's for sure what's happening, but it looks a little bit. It's a part of it. Everything's media, right? Everything's about the public nature of it, actually. Actually, that's another piece. I wonder how you feel about that, Clive. Like the social media stuff, because it's all about sharing, it, it, there is kind of an overemphasis on the public or, as Kevin, as you like to say, publics, right? The, yes, the, exactly. the, the, the Everything is about being public when it's, you know, when it's being shared. I, I, and, the, and that trust was a little different in Echo. There was a well, 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 no, well, 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 here's the thing. I mean, like, I, 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 think, I think people being more public is awesome. Yeah, uh, totally. um, and, and so I don't have any problem with the, the public and stuff. And why? The, let's, the, hear your, let's hear your why. Why is it awesome for you, Clay? Uh, well, because I think the good things happen when people talk in public more often. I think it's pretty simple, basically. Uh, I, th- I think the, the more people talk about what they're thinking about and what they're doing, uh, the, uh, the, the, uh, the, the richer, you know, the, the sort of emotional and cognitive ecosystem of the world gets, right? And I'm willing to, like, take the crap that comes along with the good stuff for that, right? You know? Uh, um, and, and, and so... Now, I'm not being tautological here. I'm not saying that everything needs to be public. Uh, in fact, what I'm precisely complaining about is that, is that what has vanished from the digital sphere are genuinely closed-down and intimate spaces for conversation. Uh, We've Instagram. We've Instagram. That's it. The, the uh, yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. Well, there you go. And so, 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 so when I say thing, I think it's great that more people are being public. I'm not saying that's that's not the same thing as saying everything should be public. I'm saying that I think it's great when more people are, that more people are participating and being public with what they're doing and saying. Um, but uh, but I think that it's it's equally valuable to have awesomely quiet spaces. I mean, in some respects, this is one of the things people have always, people have always, this is why live journal still does really well, right? right. Because like, yes. for whatever reason, because, you know, you these people who have these very, very tightly constrained gr- circles, you know, th- that concept goes back 10, 12 years there. Um, and because the code is fairly simple and it's been kicked around for a long time, people seem to trust it, you know? And it's entirely possible. I mean, like, like, like I've thought, okay, so how would I feel comfortable talking with, you know, um, amongst friends you know well you know it, it would wouldn't be hard to do i and i'm a geek so i can do this i would just set up my own i just set up like a like an old mac as a server here and run and run a php bbs on it right uh, um so that i control the access myself i know that no one's crawling it i know that no one's going into it i can look at the log files myself and so i'd feel perfectly comfortable with that although truthfully what i'd probably do is not even anything that's html based or http based it would be an old school bbs you got to dial in because because uh the the because the great thing about the old school bbs is is that spiders uh, google spiders don't don't even try to get inside them and yeah. anyone who's trying to hack well, we can stuff, just do an irc server yeah 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 there you go someone's well, asking us to yeah, set up here yeah, 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 yeah. You could, you could. I mean, I, 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 I think actually the advantages of something like Caucus are a little stronger than IRC. Uh, but, um, but, uh, but the point is that there, because even any IRC is even a more well-known protocol for 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 uh, um, 
for uh, 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 for being hacked or for having privacy problems. Like you know, it, one of the advantages of going with a super old school BBS is that like it's 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 like speaking Navajo code talk, right? I mean, like <laughs> you know, you're you're just so off the grid. <laughs> that, that, I have to go uh, and so, find a modem then. Uh, no, 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 no. You you can you can you it, it goes over the internet. You can SSH in. Okay. Anyways, I, I'm before before we turn into just like before we start geeking out so extremely yes. that we lose everyone in the conversation. <laughs> listening to this all, all i'm saying is that is that is that uh i think that like very very public space one of the things i like one of the reasons why i like twitter is that it's for me it's completely clear what's going on right you know everything i'm mm, doing some of the time there's a the whole accidental dm nonsense but yes but yeah, well, sure. kevin i can't quite hear you what is it what do you think isn't clear kevin marks the, the whole accidental direct messaging where you respond yes. to it that's about yeah. people who don't know what that's a no, that's we about, should rename that no, no, an no, Anthony no. Weiner. That's an Anthony no, Weiner. No, 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 no. He's saying something different. So I get a DM from you. It comes through by text. I respond to that, um, and then I've sent it to everyone in the universe because Twitter has a design flaw. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, yeah, it does. Yeah. And, so you're telling me, so so Anthony Weiner didn't screw up Twitter's design flaw, did it? Oh, I'm sure he screwed up differently. It's, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think he screwed up differently. But there are yeah. ways. There are ways of getting that wrong too. But, but yeah. But the point is, it's not completely obvious what's going on on Twitter. I think um, I would. I would bring in Anil's post here. I think that's that's opposite. Yes. Yes. Um, so Anil Dash wrote a great post this week that was basically saying, "Guys, you've got to tumble your websites or you're screwed." Um, so if your website's full of assholes, it's your fault. It's basically saying if you set up a, a web comment system and then say, oh, I'm not responsible for this, well, you are. And um, if it's, it's, you've got to spend some time in there talking to people and, and making sure that people understand what the, what the rules are. And it was, it was a very um, nicely written piece and, and sums up a lot of what, what thinking is here. But I think um, the, the thing that's slightly missing from that um, and maps back into the, the Twitter conversation is what the affordances of the, the system are like. Um, and I think the way that Plus is like at the moment, it is like the, an old school EBS. It is like Usenet. It is like these places where there's a small in-group of techies who are having conversations with each other and love it, but it doesn't actually scale to millions of people. And we're seeing, you know, we're having our eternal September now as all the um, the spam bots and, and people selling things turn up and, and do a canter and seagull on, on Google Plus um, because it's been designed. What's a canter? What's a canter and seagull? Canter and seagull were the lawyers who sent the first spam ever on Usenet, where they posted to every group on Usenet, um, "Use us to get into the green card lottery to get into the United States." Sorry, I was talking. I was, <laughs> I was talking to someone about them this week, and I, and I should explain that reference, but. Um, there, the, there is this. Um, there are two phases to these kinds of conversations. There's one where you want to amplify the conversation because you're not sure there's anyone there listening to you, um, and then there's a later phase where you want to dampen it down a bit because you're being swamped by, by all these people. And this is the piece that Twitter gets right, um, and it's a subtle thing. Um, it's that um, if you're somebody who is famous in, in one sense or another and have a lot of people who, who want to talk at you, you sort of get used to that, and you can you can deal with that yourself if that's something you've you've sought out. If you become an author or a, a pop singer or a loudmouth technology pundit or whatever you are, you're, you're wanting people to talk back to you. But there are these collateral damage effects, which is that um, if you as um, you know, as Jenny Jardin post um, your thing into um, 
Google Plus and a thousand people reply to you because because you're Jenny and, and they know you from Boing Boing. She's right. used to so that. She, she posted that she and Sean Bonner posted what hi and what are you eating and it was like went on for five weeks. Exactly, and and the point is, um, the collateral damage from that is. I follow Jenny and now my stream is full of all these people I don't care about because they're followers of her. There's this, this sort of side effect. And it's the same for, you know, Neil Gaiman said he's, he's backed off from Plus um, because it had that effect. You know, he has that slight problem with Twitter is that there are, you know, so many millions of people following him that he, if he posts a link, he tends to destroy websites by accident. Um, but he doesn't, <laughs> if he asks a question, he'll get, you know, 10,000 at replies but they're not inflicted on the rest of us. So we can maintain the illusion we're having an intimate conversation with this famous author um, and seeing his intimate conversation with his wife in public. Um, whereas, you know, plus makes it blatantly clear that that's not true because suddenly the other 10,000 people who think he's wonderful and post in end replies come back and get you as well. Um, but it has a second sort of even worse effect, which is that if one of your friends... Um, posts in reply to some other famous person you don't care about at all, you get dragged into that as well. That shows up in your um, stream. And not only that, then you have to, and it keeps, you keep getting notified. Like, if you even responded once to yes. something, say Bill Gross or somebody posted or Jeff Jarvis, that, that, and people say conversational, like Jeff might respond, but I find Bill Gross never responds to anybody unless it's a media person who wants to, to write about him sometime. And I say, you know, I used to work for him, I used to work for him, he's great guy but it's not interactive i wouldn't call it interactive and then you have to follow constantly this incredibly long thread where it's yes. such a deep need in fact i am trying to remember the guy uh who got in touch with me on google plus this week to say now i didn't understand tumbling but now that i'm on google plus i really get why you need tumbling because these right. li- these these threads become pointless people aren't all pulled in you don't know who's there they, they go in many different directions and and with, with that i kind of want to segue Clyde into i don't know if you read um it's uh, the O'Reilly piece on Google Plus is a social backbone, but it's... Ed Dumble's one. That, that was good, yes. No, and I, 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 I didn't read it. Summarize the argument for me. Well, to me, Kevin, tell me, Mark, tell me if you think I get this right. I would say that um, he's observing stuff we've kind of talked about in the show for a while, which is now that we have a company that uh, that is invested more in the open mm-hmm. web for different mm-hmm. business reasons, incorporating sociality into everything, we're going to see the next layer of the web uh, be totally social, which has been obvious some of us for a couple of years. But I, the fact that the hardcore engineering world is going to go, oh, everything has to be built social, because everyone's yes. going to look at stuff. That was my take on it. Kevin Marks, do you think I have it? Yeah, that's fair. I mean, what he's saying is um, this stuff needs to become commodified um, and not owned by a company. It needs to become a basic protocol, which is, you know, obviously I'm going to go, yes, of course, because that's the kind of thing I say all the time anyway. Um, but the, the, I think the, the, the deeper point is that this um, this worldview, this look, way of looking at things as a stream of events has gone from being some weird thing us geeks do to being something enormously mainstream in the last three years. Um, so now that Twitter and Facebook have done that, Google is doing it, Yahoo has done it, Microsoft has done it, we've done it in Salesforce, so every company has it. It is the natural way of, um, to look at these things now. And now we need to say, okay, how do we plumb this stuff together so it actually works? And it's not just all a bunch of separate silos. And that's, and that's, you know, that's a hard problem. It's a, it's a similarly hard problem to, um, to the circles problem of how do you make the stuff leap between the circles without it being annoying. Hold on, you, you jumped a little bit there. Say that a little bit more slowly, Kevin. How do you, what with the circles? How do you, um, innate, so there's this tension between 
um, connecting and separating. So you want to uh, have stuff to flow and spread out so, so that ideas can spread and flow and be in public and get the positive effects that Clive was talking about. Um, but you also don't want everything to spread out because there needs to be a little bit of effort for that to happen. Um, so, and then the other thing you need is the distinction between I'm just sharing this, my in-group and no one else will ever hear it. Um, and I'm bridging this out to people I don't know. Um, and the, and the Twitter has the sort of twin modes of this, which is the following model, which means that it's naturally damped, but things can spread because of retweets. And it has the hashtag model, which is the way of bridging across the, the silos um, to people that you haven't followed. So it has these, these, these two affordances that have been tuned quite well over the last five years of Twitter as, as, as Twitter has grown from just being group SMS to this um, bus of, of, of connected publics. Mm. Hmm. So would you say, I mean, no, I know, Clive, you've, you've had to listen to me talk enough about WIS and the stuff I'm writing about, like, I think, yeah, the, the web is even a bigger cultural change with everything being social. So um, what what do you think about, you know, the idea that we now have this social backer? Will it will it become protocol? Will we get, I mean, it does, doesn't seem to make, feel right that it should all stay in one place. Do you think the web is going to get stuck in this place where, we're going to have something fill more walls. It will. Things won't spread to open protocols and be everywhere and be in every phone as often. Was that a question to me? Sorry? Yeah, that is a question to you, Clive. Do you, do you oh, think sorry. sociality, we're going to see this become something that just isn't everything or we're going to have it for because of business choices we're going to be stuck <laughs> for? Yeah. Um, to uh, place to do this new thing? Well, you know, uh, uh, my suspicion is that, I mean, I... I I don't think that any uh, – I, I think that I think the chance – the likelihood of there being public standards for social engagement is pretty low. Um, uh, it would be awesome if it happened, but I think it's going to be kind of low because people are reliant upon these large server-based um, – uh, 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 a large server-based uh, um, uh, uh, um, uh, companies like Facebook and whatnot. Um, and, and, and in many ways, it, it's it, – it's, it's this accident of history, right? I mean, in, like, you know, we could have had, I mean, this is a whole point even Moglen, the law professor, makes when he says, you know, like Facebook, Google, I mean, what, in, in one sense, they're like incredibly complicated, you know, companies. But on the other hand, they're just like, I mean, with the social stuff anyway, and maybe not the search engines, but the social stuff, it's, this is just PHP doodads, right? I mean, this is like, you know, 500 lines of code could do like, 90% of what Facebook does. And so there's no reason that social stuff couldn't be done on a peer-to-peer -peer basis, running off everyone's computers, instead of at these warehouse centralized uh, companies that set their own standards and try and force everyone just to plug into their APIs. That, now, why did that not happen? Well, it's for, you know, actually, if you think about it, it's, it's for an interesting reason. It's that if you wanted to have a peer-to-peer uh, um, uh, uh, social web where everyone runs their own stuff, owns their own data, and everything runs on open protocols. You would have had to. You, you have to develop it in a period when everyone's everyone's online all the time. They were in their devices are online all the time, and we're getting a lot closer to that now. Certainly, with mm -hmm. you're carrying around your phone, it's mm -hmm. online all the time. You know, your compu people's computers are online a lot more. But when the internet sort of crawled, commercial internet crawled out of the muck 15 years ago, it wasn't that way. You had to dial up. And, you, and, and, and I remember dial up. I, I spent 30 bucks, 40 bucks a month for like um, two hours online. 
1995. So I you know, would have to go online in these furtive little, you know, sort of bursts, basically. And, um, and so, you know, if you wanted to publish something online or if you wanted to have something out there online, you want to connect with people, you had to rely on stuff running in basically the cloud, even back then. You know, if you wanted a website, it lived not on your computer at home, but out in the cloud. If you wanted an email, it lived out there on the cloud until such time as you sucked it up on your computer. If you, if you did anything, it was out there on the cloud. And so that, that un- had the toxic side benefit of gifting us these enormous companies that are all cloud-based and all, everything is all server-based, and they fight like the squid and the whale over whose, whose standards and whose vision gets to run the world. Is that going to change? You know, it could change. I don't think it will. Uh, in the short run, I'm a little pessimistic about that. Although I will say that I don't think that any one of these large companies that's around right now is going to dominate for more than a couple of years. Because that's just, I mean, Heather, we've talked about this. That's just like a law of, of massive corporate thermodynamics, you know? Everyone gets their chance in the sun for four to eight years, and then it's over. It, it just well, ends. It always ends. They can't keep it going. I mean, I believe all big systems are the things that undercut themselves. It's not someone else beating you. It's you just not doing it, generally. The other thing with, okay. a, lot, with a lot of the peer-to-peer stuff that I, you know, I was just thinking about, um, and I struggle with it because I've been talking to the folks at Singley and other places, and I like it conceptually, is, is how is it really going to happen? And that's because from the human side, which we talk about here a lot, is this weird trust factor. It's sort of why What's-His-Face's company didn't take off, sort of the peer-to-peer Wi-Fi box. What I'm trying to remember, if I could, I'm, I'm channeling my Jewish grandmother. Can you I know, what's, what's his name? You know, no, the, the Wi-Fi boxes. Um, that what this, the guy over uh, it was a European company that you know to compete with the Cisco's of the world. So Fon. Heather uh, Martin Vosovsky, Fon, F- right? Fon, uh, Martin Vosovsky's thing. Fon, F O N. You know that if everyone had our if we all had our own boxes, we could share our network packets with each other. And there's a big, you know, there's still way too much of a um, barrier to entry with a lot of technical stuff. And so if you start telling people right now. Um, you know, your average user, yeah, instead of going to some big company, we're all going to share stuff directly with each other. I mean, conceptually, that's just really freaking scary to people. Um, trust is a huge factor. Whether, even if it's technically feasible to do or not, uh, you know, that's scary stuff, right? In a big, bad, scary world where people are stealing my identity and, you know, fear is a much um, higher factor tolerance factor in this stuff. I just spoke at a, a conference last week where I was so surprised I was introducing this a future of Jewish community conference and I was speaking about social media and I was prepared for them not to know a lot of the stuff, but I wasn't prepared for the level of fear that's still out there around Everything Steph, that Steph, you spoke to Jews and you were prepared for a level of fear. <laughs> you grew up in yeshiva. That is I know, I know. But but re- but really the level of fear. Like like we think that just because everyone's on you know, Facebook has a hundred gazillion million citizens, and I use that word specifically, you know, it's it's a de facto social networking is here to stay. But it's not. You know, just the way Clive was sort of um, alluding to, remember during the last bubble, you know what we talked about? We, we're so quick to forget that yeah, when Clive, it comes right Clive, down to it. 
you say overall you're optimistic about about the way we're. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. No, I, I, I am. I'm well, optimistic. Part, part but... of the I'm optimistic because I think I'm, I, I'm, I'm astonished at, at what fascinating things. I just want to thank you for for inserting for bringing a little optimism to Jewish no, culture no, now. Yeah, yeah. I just know you've done your your part for my culture. I just appreciate that. No, no, here's the thing. I mean, part of the reason I'm optimistic is I'm actually fascinated by how people are managed to do such amazing, interesting, creative things, even within these corporate boxes, quite frankly, you know? I mean, <laughs> that's pretty so, different. Totally. It, it, it's like a triumph of the human spirit, you know? Uh, uh, I mean, if, they, if everyone really, if we really controlled our own stuff, um, things would get more interesting yet. And, and I, don't, I don't think that's impossible. I think it's just very, very hard to do for a whole bunch of reasons. Um, but uh, the, 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 main, the main point I'm making is that people tend to like get obsessed with the software tools we have around us right now and try and extrapolate the specific things that are happening right now to the future when, you know, I mean, even the last 30 years of, of, of tech history has shown us that like all these all the giant companies that run stuff right now eventually stumble and fall because someone comes along with, with, uh, to, to, to show us something fun or interesting or creative or weird that we'd like to do that that even we haven't thought about before and that always basically always happens uh and and the people who are running the show right now can't or won't predict that thing basically uh so um so that's why i'm sort of like you know you know, I, I, I think it's really, really good to, to critique and understand the limit, limitations of the sort of corporate landscape right now. Um, and whereas I don't think it's going to stop being corporate in the near future, the, the particular constraints that exist right now are not always going to be there. There'll be new ones that are even, you know, potentially worse and and and, and get more difficult to wrestle with. But um, but some of the ones we have right now might actually go away. You know, it's 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 unpredictable. Yeah. Well, that's right, why so we sort got- of like this stuff. For the record, as you think of the next question, I refuse to own the mantle of being the glass half empty curmudgeon around the future for tonight's show. I am not that person. <laughs> <laughs> you can put it on me if you like, but no, no. I'm very optimistic, too. I said some of our peeps aren't, but I'm optimistic. I didn't say. I, it's, I was really <laughs> saying I couldn't I believe you didn't expect some older Jews to not be terrified of something. Uh, that's what? something to do to be optimistic. Yeah, uh, uh, well, yeah, I, but I, but I'm using it to point out, par example, that even though people are online and using this stuff, they don't really get it, and they're using it. And when push comes to shove, they're very scared of it. And I've had this conversation in many groups lately, you know, across industries. So it's it's interesting. It's like, okay, I hate driving, but okay, I have to drive, is sort of what I'm getting from a lot of people. Because they don't understand where their stuff is going, as you said at the beginning, Clive. Right? We don't. We who kind of understand this space understand don't even know what's happening with our content, let alone people who sort of don't. Anyway, I'm moving on to the next segment. So we've got maybe about 10 minutes. I want to make sure that we dive into everyone in the chat room. If there's things you want to make sure you get into live, um, we can spend more time on the book. Tony Comstock, Dave Tersha, he wants to understand, I guess, what you're being optimistic about. Uh, Tony's asking me, Clive, you're saying um, just overall we're going to be able to handle problems because there is a whole bunch of Overall, I guess there's a market because I guess baby boomers buy books, and, and right now there's a lot of them being sold. Sherry Turkle's book, a lot of books are like, it's terrible, the Internet's destroying everything, no one has intimacy anymore, no one talks to anybody, it's scary. And then there's a sort of nerd ne- negativism, pessimism of Microsoft and two companies are going to own everything, or privatize the Internet, uh, government's going to take away your freedom, all that. 
so, Clive, it sounds like both of those uh, arguments don't fly with you. Uh, you whirled out on me in the middle of that last sentence. Can you repeat it? I got, I got, I, you, it sounds I, like I, both the the kind of general audience pessimism of the Gladwell, Bill Kellery variety, and also the tech pessimism of the they're going to privatize the net and the G8 will destroy us and our freedoms express yourselves that you don't buy into either of those things. It's a bit of it also segue to mention that there's a nice yeah. piece by by a Paul Ford about why he thinks some of that pessimism yes. happened. But I, yeah. which is a nice yeah. critique, but I'd rather spend our time finding out, Clive, because I think Tony's sure. asking the question for good reason. Why do you see? Sure. Positive? Yeah. I, I, I mean, I mean, well, first off, like, again, because I mean, like in the short run, a lot of things that I thought, you know, were, were, um, were going to be disastrous about the internet. Haven't been as disastrous as I expect them to be. Um, for example, you know, uh, and in fact, part of the problem is I simply disagree. When people say a lot of problems exist right now, I don't. I, I, I flatly don't believe those problems e- exist. Uh, um, and to the extent they exist, they were caused by the internet. I mean, for example, this echo chamber problem people talk about, I simply don't think is true. Uh, Explain. Uh, well, first off, um, uh, to, uh, uh, the, the, the echo chamber the echo chamber problem has been around for an unbelievably long time. Um, if you go back and look at media. In the uh, for, for, for the for, for modern media, for the for the vast majority of time that we've had media, um, it was always uh, incredibly tightly focused and partisan and specific. There was a, there was a very very brief period of about three decades where um, uh, you got these like sort of three large TV shows that everyone you know that a large chunk were watching, and even their blast impact was not as big as. As you might imagine, I mean, I write for the New York Times, which is considered a very, very large paper. But like, you know, I mean, if I'm lucky, I'm reaching one and a half million people, uh, you know, directly and maybe another four million on the Web, five million people. That's not that big an audience. You know, that's actually kind of a small audience, you know, by 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 uh, by the standards of the U.S. So so so. So we had this. We had, so we had incredibly uh, tightly focused partisan media. Um, the country actually, you know, grew and survived quite well during that time. It had a period, and in, in, you could actually argue, and I sort of, I, I sometimes, I sometimes believe this, and sometimes don't, that actually the three, the three, the three decades of post-war sort of like, you know, um, large mass broadcasting were kind of bad years for journalism. You know, it's when we developed a lot of these. A lot of these kind of BS ideas about uh, uh, about about what was allowable and what was not in discourse. You know, uh, a, a lot of voices got drummed out of the mainstream media. Uh, people look. A lot of the people that, that that are worried about sort of you know echo chambers now um, harken back to that period. And I'm like, well, that period was unbelievably impoverished for public discourse. The stuff you couldn't talk about, the stuff you know, stuff they couldn't talk about on TV was 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 enormous and and and, and a massive problem. Um, secondarily. I'm I'm not convinced that the internet is to blame. When people say the echo chamber, what they re- let's be clear what they're talking about. What they're yes. really talking about is they don't like the political situation of today. They think people are too are too ideologically opposed, right? And that stuff isn't happening uh, that ought to happen legislatively uh, um, in government. 
I agree with those statements, but I don't think they have the slightest bit to do with the internet. The reason why politics is, is, is polarized in this country is because uh, um, uh, large corporations and think tanks have spent, you know, on the order of billions, probably in the tens and maybe even the hundreds of billions of dollars over the last three decades trying to produce exactly that situation. They've worked incredibly hard at it. They've spent tons of money in good old-fashioned media and good old-fashioned love bombing to produce the stratification that we see today. This was not produced by the internet. It's been brewing for decades. I mean, the, this whole anti-tax thing uh, is, is, is to a certain extent the, you know, the culmination of two and a half decades of patient, patient work um, by three or four very, very smart and very, very, um, you know, long planning people on the political right. Um, And furthermore, when you actually tunnel down into, uh, 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 you know, what people are actually consuming online, it's a confusing picture. It isn't as simple as so-and-so only goes to X, Y, or Z sites. In fact, the very few times anyone's ever tried to to actually look at what people uh, ideologically consume online, um, they actually find that people who are ideologically, you know, uh, um, sort of uh, um, interested that actually go out there and like, I really want to read about politics, have incredibly wide, uh, 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 you know, sort of uh, um, reading, like to the, to, the, to the level of where like, you know, white supremacists are more likely to read the New York Times than many people who are sort of quote-unquote liberals in the corner of the New York Times. That doesn't necessarily mean they're reading it to agree with it or be, have their minds changed. We actually don't have a lot of we – don't, we don't actually have a lot of good even ideas on how people's minds are changed. So, all right, so, so first off, you, you have the fact that I don't think the polarization that people you know, uh, sort of uh, um, bemoan today has been caused uh, by the internet any more than you know, uh, any number of ills that have been kicking around for three decades could possibly be caused by something that's only been around in a mass sense for the last eight or nine years. I, I, I should shut up now. I'm going to let someone else talk. I could, I could, I could go no, on. No, I'm just thinking I want Clive to talk. For, you're talking about this for another hour. We have No, maybe, it's, uh, it's, it's awesome stuff, and we have maybe five minutes before we go into post-show. I do want to say, we, you know, Myers just said, can we do a, a full show, a full television on on the mechanics of politics, kind of how is this stuff working out, how are the memes transferring, how is the social engagement happening, and I could on a tumbling level be really interesting, and I've, I can't think actually of anyone better to have in the conversation, or maybe we'll bring some other people in, so if you'd be interested in coming back, or we have also someone who maybe does some campaign management or, or political PR, it could be pretty interesting just to mechanically discuss that. I have to say this week, having we haven't even mentioned Murdoch, which I don't know how we haven't this week, but... Um, I just kept thinking, God, Noam Chomsky has to feel a little vindicated. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that's. I mean, that's. I mean, that was the other thing. Watching that is how how you know watching it remotely um, from here is how much the net is playing a part in the dismantling of that you know media political um, industrial complex in the UK. That 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 um, that the people in the um, in the select committee are then tweeting about it afterwards and collecting questions on Twitter and feeding that back in and all, all that stuff has been fascinating to watch as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, the, the truth is, like, the, um, the, uh, I think what most freaks people out about, uh, when they, uh, about the Internet is that and – I, and I think what most freaks – let me, let me, let me more, even more specific. The most freaks enfranchised people about the Internet – is that 
before the internet, and I'm thankfully I'm old enough to remember what this was like and to have been sort of enfranchised because I was a journalist before then, is that they sort of walked around having no goddamn clue what the average person was thinking or talking about. And so they could build all sorts of stories in their heads about um, how, about how people thought and how how similar they were to them, right? And right. and uh, and this, it's sort of an important construct when you're a thinker or a writer um, because you're constantly trying to conceptualize what the person out there is thinking because you're sort of writing and you're in your room writing or thinking to them, right? Um, and, 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 you know, and intellectual and cognitive elites are sealed in their own little bubbles, you know, on the West and East Coast. So they only hang out with people that are very similar to them. So it's actually very easy to have this idea about what the world's like. And it's kind of cozy. Um, what, the, what the Internet did was it basically threw open those gates and allowed everyone else to start talking. And, 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 and everyone else sort of knew what they were interested in, didn't know what anyone else was interested in. Uh, but those cognitive elites had spent a lot of time building up this idea in their heads of what was out there or sort of ignoring it. And suddenly they, suddenly they discovered that, you know, something – that the world is much more numerous and much more diverse and much weirder uh, than they could possibly imagine. And it's incredibly disturbing for those folks uh, on, on an incredibly deep level. And I know because, you know, uh, you know I, I consort with them. I, I am one of them basically to a certain extent. Um, right. This 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 psychological freak fest is what is what underpins you know a lot of the sort of almost what I call shallow pessimism about so, public so, conversation. So basically, the vindication, the democratic vindication of the net is that it shows that we're a psychological freak fest. Yeah, well, I mean, <laughs> in a weird way, I mean, to, to me, I think. A hundred years from now, what we're going to and, – and, and this sort of speaks directly to the, to the point about conversation online. I think a hundred years from now, um, assuming we solve our biggest – one of our biggest problems, which is global warming, you know, uh, um, the, uh, the, um, uh, I think we're going to look back and, and, and realize that in some respects what the internet was more than anything else was a massive psychological experiment uh, in, in self-disclosure. Uh, and, yes. and, 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 and it's a fact because, you, because you think, I mean, think about it this way, you know, I, I've, I've sort of been saying this for 15 years and it, and it just keeps on getting more and more true. Uh, you know, if you go to a shrink, you're having trouble in your life, you go to a shrink. One of the things I always tell you to do is write stuff down, you know, like, like just get it outside of you. Um, th- th- this is, this is, this is a classic way to sort of come to terms with what, what you are and what you're thinking. And one of the things that, 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 Again, is is really hard for anyone who is who is a being to college and particularly b if they're like a writer or a thinker or an academic to grasp is that the vast majority of people um, before the internet graduated high school or if they went to college graduate college and never wrote anything for the rest of their lives. You know, like my mother, my mother. Well, uh, let's get away from that. But let's, they, they, they're different things. My, my mother's a perfectly smart, educated, literate person. And she, after she left high school, she probably wrote two pages of text a year for the rest of her life. Um, so you, you transfer from like a period where most people are silent to where they're talking even about anything. And you're going to see some really interesting uh, um, eruptures in public life. So my summary, and I will, I will, I promise I will shut up now so you can end the show, um, is that what we're going to see, 100 years from now, we're going to realize what the, the, the central thing the internet did to the world was it made it weirder. 
you know, literally quantifiably weirder, probably in the 20 to 30 percent range weirder, I would say, uh, over the last 10 years. And, I, and, I, and well, I'm, I'm, I'm all in favor of weirdness. So, you know, I, I, I think that seems like a logical place to have a pause, to have a close. Although now we want to have I'm like, how can we have a show live every month? Like we need a tech weapons show. That was a great idea from Tony Constock and a politics. Show. There's a lot more stuff to talk about. So I want to, um, first of all, really acknowledge so many new people here. It's been really great to see an innocent cold brew, um, uh, some old friends, Lucy speak. And, uh, of course, Tony Comstock and James Myers and Zeno and a bunch of our old pals. But, um, we love you guys being here. Warm thanks for coming, and, and Emily for joining us. Clive, just a, a pleasure. Uh, if you guys want to stick around, we'll have a little bit of a post uh, show online live. And then um, I have to tell you, I'm a little sad because I did try to do a special television with Clive, but I had part recording problems. We went, we saw the social network together, and then just Rift had a great convo, but I still learned better recording. It was very. I was so glad I saw it with you. I just have to end with that because. Honest to God, it made me want to defend Zuckerberg. I was like, I didn't think anyone could make me feel for him, but Stork has done it. It's interesting. Anyway, so as you you like the internet weird, we like the world weird as it is. Thanks everyone for being here. Uh, It's been a great show. We've got uh, Kevin, who's next week. We have amazing guests starting to be lined up. Oh, um, uh, you put me on the spot there. Next Uh, week we have. Someone great. We have Dan Gilmore. Dan Gilmore. Gilmore. We could talk a little more political uh, stuff. We've got the the latest show with Dan Gould from Namesake is up. Now we're a little bit backlogged on shows. We've got two or three that will go up in the next couple days. If you want to check the feed, please go to iTunes and give us feedback because that system uh, wants new feedback so that other people can find the show. Uh, I want to say also Peter Merholtz. A uh, great old school Echo guy and creator of the blog and just Pal and Emily, everyone for being here. Thanks. Um, we're gonna start next week. It's a new with a sponsor, our first sponsor. Everyone, very Woo-hoo! exciting. Sponsor, very exciting awesome. To, who, who, who is the sponsor? Test that out. It's gonna be Hover, uh, which is two cows. So domain names, which we hope. If you want to support the show, transfer some domain names, baby. As we're going to be doing. So, so we should brainstorm days. domain names next week, next week and see. Yeah, next week's show will be all about <laughs> domain names. With and without hyphens. We play domain, domain name poker. Domain name yeah. poker. Because yeah. really, I have I own palinsbutch.com. Why I felt I needed to buy that. <laughs> I, I have know. about 300 domains. <sighs> God, okay. We're rich. We're rich in domains. Um, thanks, everyone. It's been a great show. We'll see you here next week with uh, Dan Gilmore. Thanks to our producer, Andrew Hazlitt, and our patients, everyone, with the stream. And any ideas you guys have about interface, about how to implement IRC, all that kind of stuff, because we're starting to hear it from some of you who are new here. We're totally open to that. We love that. We'd love to make the show better for all of you and get it out to more people. So uh, stay cool. If you're most of the country and if you're in San Francisco, put on a sweater and make the people see you next week.